This week on the Recruitment Flex, a couple months ago, we did an interview with the gentleman at Apple Chat, now called Nurse Recruitment Experts, on what advice that we would give to talent acquisition and HR professionals when it comes to selecting new technology vendors. Enjoy. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here, because that's exactly what VanHack has done. Shelley, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. VanHack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Thanks for joining our latest webinar on healthcare recruitment. And we're so thrilled today to have a couple of stars. I'm a little bit starstruck, actually. I'm a fan of the Recruitment Flex podcast. If you don't know it, you need to, to check it out. So we have with us today Serge Boudreau and Shelley Billinghurst, the hosts of the Recruitment Flex podcast. And also you'll see Adam Chambers, our president of AppliChat Healthcare, who's going to host the event today. But we have a really interesting conversation today planned to talk about technology and working with vendors in healthcare recruitment. Every organization is looking at this and looking at ways to either create solutions or solve problems in-house or to bring in an expert and solve a problem from outside the organization. And I know that creates challenges for people. So Serge and Shelley have lots of great insights about this and we're really excited to bring them in. And I'm also excited, we were just talking about this before we started, that these are also a couple of Canadians. I'm a Canadian. We don't get too many Canadians on the podcast. So this is awesome to have you join us as well. On that note, I'm going to turn it over to our guests and our host, Adam Chambers, to start the webinar. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patrick, and welcome along, everybody. I'm so excited to have, again, Sir Shelley. I wanted to bring them on after, in particular, listening to your podcast that you did after attending a couple of events. You mentioned what was going on in the industry, and I think it's a really weird time for a lot of people in healthcare talent acquisitions. They're trying to 
figure out the best way to spend a limited budget, do better to bring on than people that are in this every day, working with different vendors, uh, consulting and interviewing people. So thank you for coming along. Could you yeah, just let us know a little bit more about yourselves before we begin? Shelly, go ahead. I will Thank have the last you. word. Oh, my goodness. Such a gentleman. Such a gentleman. Adam, Patrick, thank you so much for having us on. Serge and I, I think, collectively have over 40 years in talent acquisition, purely talent acquisition. And our passion is sharing our knowledge with our audience. We've reached well over 220 episodes. And all we talk about is talent acquisition technology, who the vendors are, who we're excited about, and who is crap. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're careful with that. But at any rate, we do pride ourselves in being current. We are the number one HR podcast in Canada. We have a growing audience in the United States as well as Europe. And it's primarily talent acquisition people that want to stay current in what's happening in the market. And quite honestly, I never get tired of talking about it. Serge, over to you. Yeah, I don't get tired of talking about it as well. And it's really interesting. We actually had Adam when AppleChat started on our podcast. And to show you how far AppleChat has gone, when we were on the podcast, Adam's mom came in and... In the get his laundry. Drop <laughs> off his laundry. That was three, four years ago. So obviously evolved a lot more. But on another note, I think you're completely right. We're very passionate about talent acquisition. And our experience is not only being on the talent acquisition side, but we have both worked for the biggest players in the industry, both on the vendor side and obviously purchasing from those vendors as well. We do a lot of consulting with talent acquisition departments to go through their process systems, how they should actually choose vendors, which vendors should they look at. So tons of experience and knowledge, but we don't know everything. So Adam, I'm hoping you don't stump us here, but we'll see. (laughs) I'm hoping so too, because then I'll have to fill in and I'm not going to be able to. (laughs) Yeah, my mom, she made a habit of doing that. She did it before on a sales call once. That was even more embarrassing because she actually (laughs) came into the view of the camera with the laundry. So I've moved out. That was COVID. That was a weird time. It was a weird time. In, oh, in all her, fairness, coming in. that was the start of COVID. I think that was it April was. 2020. And I'm glad to see that you have your own place and a full company. So it's worked out great for yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get started. You did mention you help people choose the right vendor. What would you say are some of the key factors to consider whenever organizations go about evaluating potential vendors? So can I start with this one, Serge? Yeah, please do. So I think what's important is to, first of all, take a look at what you already have. Uh, A lot of times we get starstruck in looking at new technology. I know I do. I get very excited about the new innovations, but also the good, stable providers of technology. So I think the first thing to think about is really, are you using what you have now to its fullest extent? And if you're not, why not? before you go out shopping, because everybody likes to shop, right? That would be the the first thing to consider. And if you've determined that it's no longer meeting your needs, or I think what happens a lot of the times when you look at technology, it was so painful to implement that making a change is something you do maybe once every 10 years. It's a big undertaking and it's a lot of work. But there's some key things when you're looking at technology, certainly for recruitment technology platforms. One of the things that I really emphasize 
to think about is how do you get your hiring leaders to engage? If you're on a platform that is clunky, difficult to use, difficult to navigate, you won't get engagement. And that is so important to take into consideration that if you're not using it and you're developing little systems and spreadsheets outside of the technology, then it's not working for you. The other thing, and I'll hand it over to you in a second, Serge, because I know you love to talk about this. The other thing I think is really overlooked is getting a real sense of what the job seeker experience is. If you've got a system that is forcing people to fill in uh, and register first, give all their information before they can even apply for the job, you're putting barriers in the way versus looking at technology that makes it actually short, sweet, to the point, you get the information that you really need, and then all of your compliance things can happen later on in the process. So Serge, I know you have other priorities you wanted to talk about too. So over to you. Yeah, I want to drive in actually to what you said. I think the biggest thing, and we've seen this quite a bit, is when we're looking at companies that are looking at new vendors or new technology, when we dig into how they're using their actual technology right now, on average, they're using less than 15% of the capabilities of that system. And to your point, they probably bought it six, seven years ago. And there's been a lot of updates and additional stuff that you can leverage from that particular vendor. So Always consider what you're using now and see what you can adjust because implementation is extremely difficult for anyone on this webinar that's gone through implementations. To do it right, you're you're talking thousands of hours in most cases, especially for big organizations. So before you take that endeavor, start really looking at how can we maximize what we have right now. But it still goes to the other point that you had, Shelly. If your technology is completely built for you internally on how to use it and your hiring managers can't use it, but you as a recruiter or a talent acquisition or HR, you figured it out over five years. So you think it's fine, but your users, your hiring managers, they don't know how to use it. It's never going to work out. And every time when I see implementations, they all focus about our internal policies. How can we squeeze our internal policies and how can we make sure we have everything? And they forget about the user experience because if people are not applying to your jobs because it's a crappy process, it doesn't matter. You can spend $500 million on a system and it's still not going to be used. Yeah, it could almost work against you, that $500 million. If, if well, I'm exaggerating, away. but even... Like, <laughs> that's a stretch, but... But like well, a million, so you, half a million. So take into consideration the time invested to, first of all, research yeah. what vendors, <clears throat> and then the implementation process itself rarely goes smoothly. I have clients here in Canada that have implemented technology and two years later, it's still not working the way the sales guy said it would work. Mm. And they're building little spreadsheets outside of the system, which really defeats the whole purpose because primarily you want everything to happen inside one system. That is the the entire life cycle of the employee from the time you first identified them to exit. And keeping that information secure is the company's responsibility. 
To that point, Shelly, I completely agree. If a recruiter is going to leverage multiple systems or someone in HR, there are systems that are just not going to be used. That's why it's extremely important to have one key system because you're going to spend as a recruiter, HR, 70% of your time in that one system. So you start having multiple systems that don't talk together. That's a major issue. So when you're looking at vendors, integration capabilities, it's absolutely critical because you want it to work correctly together. I always look at vendors that have marketplaces. So they're already built in the tools that you need are already built in and easy to integrate. The API has already been built. It's already been tested compared to vendors that don't have a lot of integration capabilities. You're now bolting on things that might not work correctly with it. Now you're working in three, four different system. And to my earlier point, one of them is just not going to be used the way it is. And it's just not efficient. Yeah, I think we all have our little secret spreadsheet. <laughs> no, it's just so natural to want to do things on your own terms rather than learn something new. So it's great that you raised that point, that people have to unlearn that. One thing I have realized is also opportunity cost, which is something I learned when I was like 14 in school, in the first class of business studies, where it said, if you spend money on one thing, you're not going to spend it on another thing. Uh, you're going to miss out on the potential benefits if the other thing is better. Making this decision is so important. How would you advise healthcare organizations to assess potential vendors' reputations and expertise in a specific area of healthcare? One of the things that I think is a little bit of an issue when we're looking at vendors because there is so much noise. Four or five years ago, HR tech really blew up. To give you an idea in this industry, the amount of investment, the record was and before 2020 was $5 billion of investment in the HR tech industry. 2021 was $20 billion. 2022 was $25 billion. We don't know what it's going to look like this year, but there's been a massive growth of companies in the HR tech sector that are getting funding, getting acquired. So everyone is now being like, oh, there's money to be made here. So they're just flooding the market with ton of what I call noise, right? And how do you cut through that noise? For one, you should listen to the recruitment flex. I'll just say that. But uh, the other element is you look at what are the key things that are happening in the industry. So there's things that are buzzwords. What we're seeing right now is AI. Every tool in the HR tech space is promoting they are an AI tool. And I would argue that 90% of them are not really AI in the true sense. AI can mean a whole lot of different things to a lot of people. And a little bit of AI is a big difference compared to large language models that are, are taking tons of information. So being aware of what's going on is great, but not getting sucked into it. You got to align what your actual needs in your business before you even start looking at vendors and start researching the industry. When you get to that point, I don't think anyone has ever given this advice and I probably would not have a couple of years ago, but you got to start attending HR tech conferences. There's two really big ones that has all the vendors and you can hit a ton of vendors at once to get a sense of what's going to work for us. What are we looking for? So I, I recommend for every organization that's seriously going to be looking at HR tech to attend HR tech in Vegas or Unleash in Vegas as well. I think those are the two biggest ones with great HR tech companies that you can really deep dive into. If I'm looking at reputation, I'm already past that point. Now I'm looking at different vendors and I'm seeing who's going to fit. The one thing that I look, I want in-depth customer references because 
I will take a couple of hours with someone that's actually using the product to determine if it's going to work, especially in the healthcare industry. You got to be talking to someone in the healthcare industry because there's so many different laws and regulations and practices that someone working in a machinist shop is not going to have the same needs and capability that you need. So I would definitely spend a lot of time in customer references uh, as a key point. Shelly, what's your thoughts? So I'm glad you brought that up because when you talk about reputation, there's a lot of glitz and glam. And that's the word of caution when you go to these HR tech conferences. Yes. Um, sometimes they're pretty sparkly. They're very shiny. But one thing I look for, whether you are looking for an ERP system or a really good HR tech system, do they have a user group? Because hmm. what that spells out to me is that they are committed to innovation, improving. And when the wheels come off the bus, and implementation has gone completely sideways, the place you're going to go to is your user group. Your user group will be your key place to talk about what works, maybe what's coming up in the product. But what it says to me loud and clear is that they listen to their customers. They listen to the marketplace. Yeah. That to me says everything. Because when we talk about what if they don't meet expectations? You may be super clear of what you need the system to do, what are the key performance indicators, but what if the system doesn't do what it says it does? And I think a great example might be the large ERPs like a success factors. Two years later, and the adoption is still just lagging in acceptance from the team. If you'd have known that going in, you may have made different choices. But I would say it's the the peer recommendations and also make sure they have a user group because that's what should drive development and innovation in their products. And for those who are unfamiliar with that term, is that like a focus group or something different? No, I think most technology firms, good ones anyways, will have user groups. That is where customers go to talk about how they're using the product to give feedback on the product. You can participate in focus groups if they're talking about the technology roadmap and what they want to bring on as features. Because what scares me is vendors that go too much the other way, where they're like, one customer said, we'd like this feature. And so their development team runs off and does this feature. But if they're rooted in best practices, they mm -hmm. will have certain markers and certain performance indicators that say this is the next feature that we need to offer our clients because the majority of them are asking for it. The the one point that I do want to add on here that when you're looking at vendors and seeing how legit they are and to Shelly's point is listening to their users is extremely important, right? And we see a lot of vendors not really involved. And this is what I love about AppleChat. Doing these things to give value to their clients means that they're listening to their clients as well. So the more thought leadership in the industry that this particular vendor is doing has tons of benefits. It gives them a lot of credibility with users, but also other people in the industry that are looking for different types of solutions being like this AppleChat, they seem to know what they're talking about because they're quite involved. There's a lot of groups of people they're talking to from experts to users on a daily basis. So always look of how active they are in the actual community. I think that's important as well. It gives them credibility. Yeah. Uh, we, we do set out the 
educate people as well because we care about the end result even if they don't use us and i think that's a common theme in the vendors that we've seen they care about the standards of the industry they're working in if someone listening to this has found that vendor that has a user group and um, positive reputation everything seems fine it's now time to sign a contract to begin working with them what would you say are some of the essential elements that healthcare organizations should aim to include in those vendor contracts? Well, I'll, I'll kick it off. There's a lot. I would say there's probably at least a dozen things that you need to consider. Make sure you've got your legal team or your contracts people engaged. To think that you as a TA leader are versed in contract law is probably a mistake. Some key things to think about, though, I would point out service level agreements. Because when it comes to implementing this technology, you need to know what to expect. You can define and say, hey, on certain issues, we need response within the hour. If they don't provide that, it's a good thing to know before you go in. So be very clear, read and understand the parameters of what they will service and how they will service and support you. There's other things like data privacy and security. And of course, your IT team needs to be involved in that. Compliance, regulatory, and things like change management and escalation. I think that is something that's usually left to the bottom of the contract. And that is, what is the procedure if we think you guys are dropping the ball? What is our recourse? What are the steps in the process? Because when you're first getting into any sort of new relationship. Everything sounds good, right? But we really need to talk about what happens if this isn't going well. And what is the correct steps? What are the procedures that we need to take? And be really clear about who's doing what. Because I think the only time you're going to have disappointment is when your expectations were one thing or assumptions, or maybe what the sales rep said, And that's not the reality once you are in up to your ears in an implementation. Serge, what did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think the biggest one when we're going through the process, be like, hey, can it do this? And the sales rep's going to be like, yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. (laughs) And and this is a very normal occurrence. And, And then they go back to their dev team. Hey, can we do this? The dev team's like, are you crazy? There's no way we can do that. Then the mindset is, let's just hope they forget. And when we get to the point of implementation, Mm -hmm. it'll be too late. So we'll already be quite deep in it. So to your point, Shelly, recourse is absolutely critical because you will be shocked how many times that happens, that you ask questions, it's confirmed. But when you're in the implementation process, suddenly it's not there anymore and be like, actually, we can't do it. Even before we get to the contract side, you should be really good at documenting everything that's been said, right? Like I recommend documenting key things that they promised they would do because when you get to the contract, you have all your notes and you can follow back because when the contract's signed, it's sometimes too late. So definitely make sure that you're getting everything in writing and it's actually meaning what you're trying to do and what they've told you that it does. I'm not saying that vendors are bad, right? But you got to put in context that they have sales teams. Some of them are newly trained and they just want to get the sale because if you're in healthcare, you're probably a large organization and you're probably a big sale for them. So sometimes things that are not on the up and up happen. So 
documentation throughout the process, make sure that you're recording everything and make sure that it's in the contract because after a contract is signed, kind of screwed. One final word yeah. on the topic of contracts. When you're in that whole negotiation process and you're asking about a feature that you seem to recall or you documented and they go to the dev team and they come back with, this is the big red flag, everyone. They come back and say, it's on the roadmap. Yes, yes. Okay, so yeah. this will be a common occurrence. It's on the roadmap means it could be a year or two or maybe never. Yeah. That's why user groups are so important because they will tell you, oh yeah, they said they were going to integrate with our payroll system and we told them what our payroll system was and it's on the roadmap. That's a big red flag. Yes. Good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we make our contracts, we always try and define what the key terms mean. So for example, we would guarantee say 20 qualified candidates and then we would define what that actually means. And I think in the past with vendors that we've worked with, there can be a lot of wordplay and stretching of definitions and terms. Uh, yes. That's really mm -hmm. useful to put the actual agreed meaning of the words in as well. Let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about the next step. Let's say we've chosen a vendor, we've married them. We really want to build a strong partnership with them that is two-way and helps us grow and helps us achieve our goals. What, for healthcare providers specifically, is the best way for them to foster collaboration and open communication with their vendors? Shelly, you take that one first. Oh, you want me to go first? Thank you. Oh, yeah. Do you know, I think for healthcare providers or for any organization, quite honestly, I don't think it's unique in healthcare. I think it is good business practice. First of all, ensure that you have a single point of contact. Accountability on both the vendor side as well as your corporate side you need to have your single point of contact, your champion, and ensure that communication is always done in the form of being constructive. If you've got a good rapport, you know that when things are not going well, we can be constructive about it and come with a mindset of sharing the information, bring them into what are your long-term plans. Make sure that the vendor understands not just what we need today, but what do we need going forward? What do we need to change? I think those are two key things to consider. Serge, what would you like to add to that? A lot of relationships between vendors, especially when it starts going a little bit sideways, it becomes a little bit adversarial. And I think you want to avoid that, right? And I don't think a lot of companies realize the actual value that these organizations can give you because I, I've been in that boat where I'm having business challenges and I actually approach a vendor that might not be completely related, but here's my challenge. Is there anything that you guys have seen, done, that's worked for one of your other clients? And you would be amazed of how they drop everything and they want to solve that problem for you. You have to give them that trust and give them a little bit of a sense of your business and your challenges. The other thing that I look at is, are you joint planning? Like going into the year as you're planning your year as far as what you're going to do on the HR technology side, but overall your talent acquisition strategy as an example, are you involving your vendors? 
Like here is where we want to go. Here are the key challenges that we have. How can you help us in addition to what we have? And you will be shocked again. So involving them and updating them as much as possible is absolutely critical. Sharing information, being on the vendor side, there is nothing more helpful than that. Wow. I'm learning so much from this. I think we're going to be a better vendor and a better user of vendors after that. <laughs> One thing that I thought of while you were saying that was our biggest vendor that we work with. The one that we give most money to has been Facebook. We've spent money on their advertising to get yeah. candidates. Facebook provide pretty minimal support because they're such a huge company. It's almost like they don't need to provide that extra layer because we as a client are getting the results that we want. Whenever healthcare organizations are going into this, how can they ensure that the vendors are aligned with their specific needs and goals? Because I think that's really going to be the number one thing that, that keeps them. Yeah, what are yeah. some of the things to make sure they're aligned? I think Facebook is an example where you think about how many relationships they have across the board. They're built for self-serve, right? And it works for the majority of the people. So you do not need that touch point as much. I think it changes dramatically with software as a service. Software as a service needs in-depth, especially when you're looking at healthcare, which is so critical, large organizations, a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, right? You cannot look at these tools as you would like a, a tool like buying Google AdWord or, or Facebook ads or those types of things, because those are extremely transactional in a lot of ways. I know it's a part of strategy when it comes to advertising, but it's, it's a transactional part. It's like advertising is you're buying the advertising that works. With a system itself that you are implementing, you're going to be using consistently. When you look at how do you measure if they're meeting the organization's need, the biggest one for me is metrics, data, 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 data. Do they have KPIs that they're measuring with their other clients that they want to bring to the table? Do you have KPIs that you're measuring that you're bringing to the table? And to an earlier point, I think from Shelly is like, how quick are they? What's their SLA? Are they going to get back to you in two days? Do you have a dedicated account manager? Do they have a dedicated team? Shelly, what's your thoughts? So I do support everything you're saying. And I want to move to more specifically recruitment. Yeah. Because in recruitment marketing and recruitment advertising, which is what I think you were referring to about buying traffic off Facebook, regardless of the source, recruitment marketing is the one area where more isn't better. What we want is quality, right? Certainly cost per apply is something to think about, but why does that really matter to me if I'm not getting quality applicants? Hmm. It's a waste of money. The holy grail of talent acquisition is quality of hire, right? And he who figures that out will be a gazillionaire and be retired on a private island somewhere. Because getting quality applicants is the name of the game. Whether you need to hire five or 5,000, it is a bit of a numbers game because you do need to consider traffic and reach and who, who can see you and are you meeting them where they're at? Where mm -hmm. are the job seekers? Or if they're not looking right now, what are some of the key trigger points that would cause them to say, now there's an organization I would consider? Because you're really only months away from the candidate having a negative interaction somewhere and they go, I think I'll make a move. Then they think of you. A lot of vendors may talk about traffic and clicks and cost per apply. 
at the end of the day, as a, as talent acquisition, I don't care. This is not what I care about. Talk to me about quality of applicants. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And the ones that are leading with that message shows that they've really been listening to their clients. It's something that we're uh, definitely doing more of, uh, focus on quality, um, especially as there's less money and funding around for, for healthcare recruitment at the moment. Uh, Absolutely. On, on that topic, are there any specific areas or processes where organized students maybe commonly overlook cost-saving opportunities of vendors or areas where they could save a little bit more? Cost-cutting, I think one of the things that we mentioned way at the start, where I would look first is like a lot of companies don't realize that their tech stack in, say, recruitment, they have things that were acquired or bought four years ago and no one has ever used and they keep paying the invoices every year. And we see that more in large organizations, right? They don't realize that there's 40, 50, 100,000 on systems that are used by two people. One of the things that I've noticed in healthcare particularly, but I've seen in other industries when we talk about cost cutting and maybe it's a little bit different, but it's talking about a staffing provider, right? I've seen healthcare organization have up to 300 different staffing provider to try to fill some of the roles. And usually those are coming from hiring managers. They'd be like, oh, I'm just going to get my own recruiter and take it off my budget. And then suddenly the other hiring manager does that. And suddenly now you've got spend all over the place. But if you look at the overall organization, there's a big cost to that. And, and I did this assessment for a client and they said, when I asked them, like, how much are you spending on staffing, right? And they were like, oh, maybe a couple hundred thousand. The number was 2.5 million. So we had 40 different vendors for staffing services they were using. Every hiring manager had a different one. So if you peel that back and be like, okay, we're not going to stop you from using staffing services as a user, but we're going to centralize it so we get the best bang for our buck. And we saved around $1 million by just centralizing it. And then suddenly the usage of staffing went down as we enhanced the amount of technology that the recruiters could use. So that's one of the big things. Like where is the dollars being spent with your hiring managers in different ways with their own budget? Because it might not affect your budget. But as an organization, a hundred percent. What's your thought, Shelley? Am I missing anything there? Oh my God, that I, you're spot on. You're spot on. I think the other place where there is gold that most organizations overlook, and please don't beat yourself up if this applies to you, because I think it applies to almost every organization. And so if you currently have an applicant tracking system, if you were to treat it the same way that most companies treat what's called a CRM or a customer relationship management software. Some organizations have north of 10,000 people applying a year. And if you think of people that may have applied to you two or three years ago that didn't make the cut because the, the min qual was they need three years in this particular type of nursing care. That was three years ago. Where are they today? So what are we doing to nurture that relationship, those are candidates you have bought and paid for. Those are job seekers who are in your industry sector that know who you are, yet you're, you're doing nothing. You are letting it atrophy right in front of you. So finding tools that can go in and treat those past job seekers as 
potential future hires as you would in any sort of sales process. We're just simply applying it to talent acquisition. So I think cost savings is usually right under your nose. It's already sitting there, but maybe nobody thought of it. Maybe nobody thought to go, wait a minute. We did this huge recruitment drive four years ago. Where's all the candidates that didn't meet the minimum qualifications then? Where are they today? Guess what? We've got their name, address, phone number, and email. It's a little bit of reverse marketing. Shelly, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is probably the most underserved part of talent acquisition. We keep buying the same job seekers over and over while we have people that are sitting in our ATS that have already shown intent to the company. They already know your company. They've already researched it. Instead, we're trying to get the shiny new thing while they're just rotting away in your system. So Mm -hmm. such a good point, Shelly. For everyone, if there's one takeaway from this call, maximize your applicant tracking systems and your candidates have been in the past. Don't forget about them. We actually got a submission from a candidate yesterday to one of our clients that have been quite slow from our database. I started doing that after I heard Bradley from Candidate Hub on your podcast. And it works. It's worked for us already. That's definitely a big one. I got to bring Patrick back in because we're going to close it off. I only asked about half the questions. So I really appreciate you both coming on. We talk a lot, uh, Adam. We talk a lot. <laughs> we like talking. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're very grateful. Patrick, do you want to add anything before we go? All of that is really interesting. The piece about start by checking what your current technology can do. I've heard it time and time again that people are start researching and digging in and talking about doing something from scratch and then realize, oops, what we already have can do a lot more. Maybe not mm. enough, but at least maybe it can fill in the gap for a little while. So that's yeah. really interesting. I also want to add, you mentioned having Adam on your podcast, The Recruitment Flex, two or three years ago. And I want to share with you that I watched that podcast. I was working with Adam kind of part-time. It was when COVID was changing my life along with a lot of people's. And I was doing some part-time things, different gigs and doing some stuff for Adam. And I watched the podcast right around the time that he was trying to encourage me to come on full-time. And your podcast put me over the edge. So I've been with Adam full-time ever since. So thanks to Shelly and Serge for that. That's it for me. And thanks so much, Serge, Shelly, Adam, for your time. This has been really interesting. And I hope that people will reach out to you as well and tune into the Recruitment Flex also. We'll look forward to seeing you on a future webinar. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters. So you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com. Mention the Recruitment Flex and get 10% off annual plans. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. 
If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.